0: Hey you guys, this is the Couplings Fire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire related. I don't claim to be an expert. I just love to talk fire and everything I say is my own opinion. My goal, to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to bettering their department however they can. Let's get on to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. We have a fun one for you tonight, I think. I don't know how many rabbit holes we are going to take. I don't even know what all of the topics we're going to hit are on this one. This is is going to be a lot of fun. I have a friend with me, Robert Ridley. He is the host of National Fire Radio, and I'm going to let him tell you guys a little bit about a little bit about him a little bit about where he comes from in his fire career if you have if you don't already know who he is so rob robert i guess it doesn't matter which way it goes
1: <laughs> rob is uh is preferable but i mean unless i'm in trouble like robert bryan you know
0: <laughs> oh um, oh so i shouldn't have said, so i should have added your middle name for your yeah. your intro if i was going to do that
1: <sighs> if, if you need my attention that's the way to do it in the crowd robert bryan and i will turn <laughs> around and look right at you so no uh, taylor thank thank you for having me on the podcast it's uh It's a pleasure to be here, so um, for for those of you who are out there who don't know me, my name is Robert Lee, I I, uh, co-host National Fire Radio, I'm a co-founder of that with Jeremy Donch. Um, We started that little project in 2018 to uh, give back to the fire service. Um, I work currently for the Fairview Fire District in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, I am a lieutenant there, Uh, not sure why, no, they promoted me, I I took the position, but um, I'm I'm a career lieutenant. I've uh, come from a volunteer background. I um, grew up in Sullivan County, New York, where I started volunteering for the Youngsville Volunteer Fire Department. That's my alma mater, um, and and really that's where I fell in love with the fire service. Uh, my dad was a firefighter. My mom started out as an EMT and then uh, later on joined the fire department. She was one of those first uh, first women to become a volunteer firefighter in Sullivan County. So that was kind of a cool cool thing to have, and then just grew from there I mean I remember the day when I was a kid that I found out you could be a paid firefighter and I tried to convince my dad how he should stop being an electrical engineer at New York State Electric and Gas because he could go get paid to be a fireman and how that would be really cool if that was his job Um, obviously (laughs) didn't realize the implications of that but um but no it's the fire service and emergency services has been uh a part of my life, uh, very much since I was a child in that community fire station. And I'm definitely somebody who doesn't forget where he came from in that regard, because I think the, you know, especially in the United States, the volunteer fire service is such a, a strong uh, crutch for the country as far as, you know, our first responders and everything else like that. So yeah, that's a little bit about who I am, I guess. And I don't know, like what, what else you got for me?
0: Well, uh, So we met on Clubhouse and I I don't intentionally really plug it every episode, but I almost I almost do just because I've met a lot of fun people on there and I wouldn't have been able to talk to you. Maybe someday, you know, you never actually really know how life's going to take you. But what over the summer we've connected with how many people across the country talking with them about everything under the sun and just getting different perspectives from yeah. people across the country is has been a huge asset for me, at least.
1: Yeah. Likewise for me. I mean, Clubhouse has been an amazing tool. And in the beginning, when we were in the midst of the pandemic, it was a great way for all of us to connect and have that fire talk and really get out there and get ideas shared. Now I know our, our core group of people that we've met through there use it as just it's it's a good way to connect uh with new people and really. I mean, I've met a lot of cool people through the podcast and a lot of friends, but the the use of clubhouse has been fantastic because now I know people on the west coast. I know people on the east Coast. I know people in the center of the country and it's just amazing to have that network. Um, and it really that's what it's come down to. it's it's the it's the family aspect of the fire service that we often talk about and people think is not there, but it's very much alive. And, you know, I encourage anybody to, uh, you know, come check it out, like jump, jump in a room with us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fun time. You know, it's not necessarily going to be about uh fire department talk sometime, but, you know, I think the conversations that have come out of that just, they, they come out of nowhere and all of a sudden we have that moment where we're in deep and, we're mm-hmm. really like, we're making strides. We're, we're coming up with solutions and, our, and, and I'm a, I'm a big short-term memory person about putting things in your head in the short term. So that if you see a situation um, you have a better idea of how to handle it. And that's one thing that clubhouse has really been able to help me out as a fire officer is just getting the conversation of things that are going on, whether it be in Iowa and Washington or out in Pennsylvania or in New York city or wherever else we all kind of have our, you know, our home state from, but being able to hear an experience from somebody else, put it in the memory bank. And then if it happens, I can kind of throw it up real quick and be like, wait a second, you know, hold on. Like, you know, like we always like chief Steve, like, you know, North Carolina, he Mm -hmm. said, he said this, and this might actually, you know, this, this is sounding a lot like what he said. So you're a little bit better prepared. And I think that's just been a awesome aspect of the, uh, the clubhouse
0: it's crazy. And it seems to me like, at least I get energized every day when I'm back on there again, I get re-energized to learn something or do something new or connect in a different way. And like you're saying, you start thinking about all these little things you're learning. I can't tell you, it doesn't always work like this, that I have a notebook next to me while I'm on clubhouse and working or something, but it's really nice when I do, because I can quick jot down thoughts or notes or whatever, you know, from that, and then think about it later or write, you know, in a, in another notebook or something later, more thoughts about it and get down deeper to it. Or, um, you know, I've, I've never been in the spot of, of an officer though before and taking those situations to that. But I know a lot of problems that people are having on there are problems that are not new to the fire service. And somebody always has a perspective to help with it.
2: Yeah, so. very
1: much so. Which actually really brings us up to like, How we kind of started. I mean, we'll jump right into it, but we had a really good conversation one day about what a good member is, and specific. I mean, it it goes to the career side too, because we certainly have our our one percenters out there who really just you know they spend ninety nine percent of the time trying to do one percent of the work. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had a conversation at the firehouse one day about you know some volunteer organizations that we know know about and how they have members who are are bad members and they hurt the organization. And how hard the organization works to protect those bad members because they have a I don't want like maybe the right way to say it is their misconception about well, they show up for this call, so you know, like it, it's almost like because they do this, we're gonna avoid this behavior or we're yeah. not gonna address this behavior. And I think that's where a lot of organizations, especially volunteer organizations, start to fall short, is they're not like. There's a standard or whatever it is, but like we make exceptions because we're so worried about this person leaving. And I, I think a lot of times if we talked about it that day, do they understand how much that person's behavior is affecting the organization?
0: Definitely. You know? It it comes down to what is your definition of a of a good member or of a bad member? Because I feel like this can change from person to person and department to department. You, you know, you may say that, like, you know, sometimes, you know, okay, is it the percentage of calls or trainings that they attended? Does that make them a good or bad member? Is it that they're always available? Is it that they fit in? Is it the type of experience they've had before that? Is it the type of job that they have outside? You know, is it um, you know, what are they actually contributing? Are they contributing on the quote unquote outside of the department where they're actually on calls and things, or are they are they contributing on the inside where they're doing more of the managing paperwork side of stuff, you know, um, are people who are not being able to show up because of work are those bad members to people, you know, to me, it's, it just all depends on what you consider a good member and a bad member.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There was a firefighter, Johannes Kronk, um, who, uh, once told me that the, the characters are the same everywhere, but the, the cast who plays them looks different Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: you know, and I, I think when I when I talk about the good members versus the bad members, you know, like the bad members are the ones who have usually there's a negativity that goes, you know, follows them around. Uh they're the ones who, you know, that we we spend a lot of attention on. Um and we're worried about, you know, like what they're doing, they're um not what they're doing, but like, well, we are worried about what they're doing, but like, you know, their their behaviors, uh, their inability to like we can't quite trust them to follow the rules, you know. Mm-hmm. We and, and we're always a little suspicious when we are dealing with them um, or they have a negative detriment to the organization be that, you know, in public, they are a soup sandwich on a warm day and they are not representing the fire service and the fire department in a good light. You know, they'll have a, a very highly offensive shirt on, um, you know, like and and it's or where they wear that highly offensive shirt to a call. And, you know, it's well, While well, I'm here, you know, I'm I'm. I'm the one helping. And it's like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're making us look bad because your shirt is homophobic or it's detrimental to women. And like, that's not a cool thing to have mm-hmm.
2: to deal with, you
1: know? And like, how, how do we like, there's no good way to fire somebody. Right. Like if, if we wanted to get rid of someone, I mean, I've, I've been in, in volunteer organizations, unfortunately, that have had sexual harassment issues and they've brought members up on charges and suspended them. And they've been able to uh, bring back enough of the old timers to vote them back in and, you know, through their messed up bylaws, get them back on the street. And that's, like, that's. Oh, terrifying. do we
0: really want to get into bylaws tonight? Cause I could, I could go down a deep rabbit hole with those ones. <laughs> I,
1: I think one of the things So, and like, we don't have to like talk about the intricacies, but you know, the one thing that our, our fire departments and our va- volunteer organizations, most of them have a very well, uh, historied, um, machine behind them.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: machine served us very well. And I know in New York state, like back in the fifties and the sixties, the seventies, even into the eighties when volunteerism was so strong, like the organizations had rules, regulations, bylaws, and they made sense and they worked at the time. Um, now, you know, when you are an organization that, you know, in those timeframes that we talked about had 120 to 130 writing members who are actually out doing calls to now there's a handful of 12 to 15, maybe 20 if we're lucky that we know are are actually going to show up. And we're still trying to implement rules and regulations that, you know, quite frankly, don't address what the modern volunteer fire service looks like. You know, in a lot of places, that's a transient population. I mean, even in my own fire district, we, we're a combination department. Um, most of the volunteers have moved out. And one of the struggles that we have is that the volunteer fire company, they haven't figured out that the, the student population is transient. They're going to do, you know, three to four years here at, at the local college, and then they're gone. But we still treat them like we did the person who had a nine-to-five job you know, was married. The, the wife was a stay-at-home mom, so he could go on the calls. And like, you know, that 19, 1960s family picture was was perfect. And that's not what we have anymore.
0: But and, that's what and, everybody wants, apparently. That's, that's, that's what every department out there wants. That's what all the... I hate talking about the quote-unquote old-timers because I don't want people to think I'm trying to bash them either, you know? Like, it... it, it it's tough being a younger person, though, who doesn't fit into that mold. Uh, I my, my job that I have, um, and in the past city I was in, I was a sports photographer. I worked nights a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't make it to every training or things like that. And not that it was necessarily looked down upon, but it definitely wasn't praised either that I was missing out on trainings to go to work. And there were plenty of times I wish we had an all day Saturday or just sometime during the day on, on another day to actually have a training to happen just because I worked a little bit differently than other people. And I know I've heard of plenty of plenty of people who want to join that department and other ones who worked nights. There is no way they could make it work, but they could always respond to the daytime calls that we actually needed. But with the percentage of calls they had to come on to to stay on the department, there's no way they could make it work.
1: Yeah, there was a department in Dutchess County that I belonged to for a little bit, um, the Hyde Park Fire and Water District, and they actually realized that that was an issue for them. So they arranged for there to be drills during the daytime because there were people like myself and a couple other members who worked either for career fire departments or they had nighttime jobs. And how do you how do you punish somebody who's available in your daytime hours? Yeah. That was the one thing that was always, well, they don't make the meetings and they don't do this. and They don't come to the drills. Well, why don't they do that? Well, they work nights. All right. So what have we, is it that far out of the bounds that we try to accommodate the training for them? Or is that just absolutely off the, you know, off the table and like, we're going to take the member who's qualified, who can show up at one o'clock in the afternoon and we're going to, we're going to boot them to the curb because it didn't make enough meetings. Like. And you know, you're going to
0: take the guy who doesn't want to do anything for the department, stands in the very back at all the trainings and comes to a call and maybe helps fill an air bottle or two instead.
1: Because he's he's made it. He, yeah. You know, there was a guy who used to the joke on, but his thing was, hey, if you want to know what goes on at the meeting, you got to show up to the meeting. But some people can't show up to the meeting.
0: And are you really telling your potential and current volunteers that you actually care about them? if you're not willing to try to figure something out that fits into their schedule, yeah, you can't make everybody happy. That's, it's a lay of the land. It's just, it's not possible, but you can try to look into stuff, especially if it would work for a few people.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's always a thing that everybody like, and it seems like the fire service in general is very resistive to change,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but particularly our volunteer ranks, like we, we really have to, we have to pivot. And I always say that, for a lot of the volunteer fire companies that I've worked alongside with, I've been involved with, or that I watch struggle, if they were a business, they would be out of business, because they fail to pivot and change their model, and how they're operating um, to to be with, to like, something as simple as, um, I know where I work in, in the county, um, so I, I work in Dutchess County, but I live in Ulster County, so for the Milton Engine Company, I have uh, my my phone is faster than my pager or just as fast as a, as a pager. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they're, they're even to the point where like Ulster County, pretty much I think they hit when they hit the enter button and dispatch the call that it goes out on your phone, the County that I work in, they don't want to change for whatever their reasons are. And they have their reasons. IT is like, Hey, like this is too hard. We would have to work as County workers and it would be very complicated and you don't understand how stressful it is to be a county worker and do nothing all day. And I'm like, I get it, IT, like OCS (laughs) or whatever they are, they're called like they can't they can't get it done. But like this is something that a modern fire department with younger members, they are tuned into their phone. Like Mm -hmm. this is infrastructure at this point. So getting the message out to them, like something as simple as that, you know, um, getting somebody who is savvy with, uh, you know, I don't want to say technology, but like somebody who can work an iPhone and shoot a video And giving them access to a YouTube channel for the district and being like, listen, I need you to shoot a video on this fire extinguisher for me so we can do it as training. And we can make that available for the the members who are working nights who can't make make training. And then like there's a, you know, and and it's a simple test, like you can come up with some kind of uh, cognitive thing for them to fill out at the end of it that says like, hey, like, if you watch the video, you'll know that, you know, uh, our water, you know, our water can has how many gallons of water in it, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, some simple like we're not we're not asking you to take the SATs and get into MIT or Harvard here. <laughs> we're just asking you to understand that you, you watch the video and you learn the, the, the talking points, which, you know, we put out. And these are all things that we could do to pivot and make ourselves a little bit easier with the fire service. But like I said, it's it seems like there's a lot of resistance to that change.
0: That's actually, so when you said the YouTube videos and stuff like that, that's actually an idea I had back when Chris was training officer and I was on the committee with him was to record uh, parts of our trainings that we had and get the main, not the whole training of everyone going through every evolution. You don't need all of that recorded, but just the basic, this is how you do it. Here's a rep for you to see it actually in action and whatnot. So people who weren't there at training still know what we did and could still go through it on their own. It wasn't, it it wasn't there to convince people to not come to training. It was there as an extra thing, so if people wanted to go see it and learn it for themselves, or whatever, or catch up, however you want to do that, or depending on how long you make these, if it's five or ten minutes long to watch this, you could make it required watching for your department members to still watch it if they weren't there. It's not that long to do, and it makes sure everyone still stays up to date with the information because with training and volunteer departments, you can't fit all the training we need in in the year. It just it doesn't. Work. There's too much to right. train on. And people can only make it to so many things a year. I mean, you have ball games, you have family suppers, you have emergencies, you have work schedules, whatever it is, you have so many things happening, especially in the evenings. People can't make it to a hundred percent of everything. It's it's Not impossible, but near impossible for the average family nowadays, especially if your kid's playing, let's say, (laughs) travel baseball at the same time as volleyball, at the same time as basketball. I know families like that, that they're spread out thin and like, and there's nothing they can do about it. It's still a way for them to get this information and put everyone on the same page.
1: Well, and I, I think too, like, you know, if I look at the world of technology and how we've changed. Like I I I am not mechanically inclined. Like so, when you see me with power tools in my hand, like call an ambulance. You know, like call my wife because she'll tell me, like, nope, put that down. Like you do not know what you're doing. Like I'm very good. Put at, down
0: like, the K12. <laughs>
1: yeah, like I I can like smash stuff. I can like I can do my job as a firefighter. But like mm-hmm. me me trying to like fix the door that's off kilter. Like nope, I got friends <laughs> for that. Right. Yeah. But like with youtube as an example like i can go on there and i can figure this stuff out like i can pm and service my car because i have watched videos on youtube and i can be like all right and and you watch it's it's honestly like it's how i learn like i I self-taught myself how to play piano when i was a kid but now when i want to learn new songs i just google it and i find somebody who's played it and does a tutorial video because i understand chord progression so i'm like all right cool like I got it. And now, all right, that's, I need to hit these chords and this is the beat. And this is how I'm going to figure this out. We can do the same thing with our technology now for the fire service. But at the same time, also, like I've always said, like quality training is what I was always yearning. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do quality training. I didn't want to, we all have to sit through sexual harassment, OSHA and all this other stuff. But like, I want to, when I show up to the firehouse as a volunteer, I need everybody to be prepared. And oftentimes we're not, we're throwing stuff together. Like, I mean, and and it, I get it. It's a lot to to do instructor one and to get those classes and to put forth the effort, but like, and and maybe that's in some aspects where like we need to get the volunteer fire service to start adding a, a, a paid position. Not like a, maybe not necessarily a paid firefighter, but like-
0: Compensated. A,
1: Yeah, a compensated training officer, because, like, you know, this is work, like, as a firefighter, you know, or as a career firefighter, it is work for me to come up with the training and to document it, like, I am horrible at documentation, my chief, Tim (laughs) Gilnack, and my captain, Justin Bowman will tell you, like, I am horrible at image trend, I am horrible at documenting my training, um, but I'm out there doing it, and, like, but to come up with a lesson plan, to come up with well, the nuance is it's, it's work. It's an hour, mm-hmm. two hours of just office work and getting some of that stuff done. And then that's not including the planning and calling and like, you know, and all, there's all these, we're hurting cats here. Yeah. And that, yeah, These fucking cats are pissed and they don't want to be herded. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> like, it's a full-time job. And like I said, I think it's just something that we have, like, it's, it's another thinking outside the box is what we need to do to solve mm-hmm. some of these problems. And I think it's just a way that we could solve these problems by thinking outside the box.
0: Oh man, you have my brain going so many different spots at the moment. Okay, Um, where do I start? (laughs) Let Okay, so not, this isn't the only way to, it's the fire service, there's no one way to do things. Okay, right, let's just start there. No one on my old department was uh, training officer certified or anything like that, right? But we made it work. And for years, That was kind of Chris's passion was the training side of everything. But what we ended up doing, and this may not work for every department, but what we ended up doing is the beginning of every year, we sat down for a couple hours. It took time, but it was was kind of on an off night or whatever that we'd had time and just kind of didn't want to do anything else. And we'd figure out what we needed to do for the entire year. We wrote down all the practices we had and figure out these are the most important things we have to hit throughout the year. So when are we going to do it? And then we would try to divide it up from there and just with general ideas. And every month after that, we had our training committee meeting and we would talk about the practices for the upcoming month. And basically each person on the training committee, either one person or two people together were assigned one practice that they had to get ready and figure out. And we, we would think about a lot of the logistics of it within that meeting of like what we wanted to yeah. see happen and they had to get it done in time for the meeting. It worked very well. I really liked it. Our, our trainings started you started seeing a higher caliber of training more often because of that. And the work got divided out between a few people <laughs> instead of just all in one person. But I do like the idea of a training, an actual compensated training officer, because that does take a lot of time.
1: I also think, too, is that when you're doing training, you. Um, we, we go to instructor one and we get the whole gambit. Right. So we come out of there and we think we have a master's in education because of what we were just taught in <laughs> yeah. fire instructor, uh, fire service instructor one. But the reality is, and I don't mean, I don't mean to say this, that, that we have to lower our expectations, but there is something like, that's a very, like heart surgery would be something that I would want a very detailed explanation and procedures and practice and everything. Right. Cause that's, Like it's a heart. Like if we fuck that, you know, that's no no good. Like we're we're not alive. Um, But like stretching a line is something that doesn't require a lot of skill. It doesn't, or I shouldn't say it doesn't require a lot of skill. Um, But like for us to go out and do a drill for stretching lines, like we can do that.
2: Mm -hmm. I don't
1: need to plan that. I just need a fire engine. I need some able bodies. I need some hose, a nozzle, and some air packs, and I can build that into a pretty good comprehensive drill and get a stride and maybe that's where we're kind of missing things as well in the fire services there's nobody saying like hey listen it doesn't need to be rocket science we're not going to the moon and we're not racing the russians to the fire um although that would be pretty cool because i've seen <laughs> some of those russian firefighting videos and they are batshit crazy uh but you know like sitting doing a drill for stretching hose lines and getting some members in the community to to let you use your homes and mm-hmm. that way and like and then getting them involved like we had the the maris soccer team girl soccer team like we used them one day for and they, they came up and they're like oh my god becky's stuck inside like come on and like try to take the hose from the firefighters and stuff and like
2: that's awesome you know,
1: like it's you can get the community engaged and like start preparing and i know dave mellon like you had him on um i guess he's in front of me hmm. no <laughs> just, just getting to dave but like uh, in know honestly like dave talks about that realistic the lost art of realistic fire training like think about the member of your fire department who has a small child and you just doing a hose stretching drill on your house and when they show up your kids out front and just have him tell the first firefighter my mommy's inside like
0: even on the training that's gonna screw you up what
1: what better way to see it in a controlled environment than when it's three in the morning and it's the first time you're hearing that and the, and and you know like it, it's just it, it's it's a it's just one more thing that we can add to the realism, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And this is something that can be thrown together in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or, like start to finish, like when 20, like we can like my group, like we can go through four people pulling lines and everybody being in the position, uh, including masking up and stuff and re-racked in, within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So and I, I think the expectations, I guess, in in, the, in this long diatribe need to be lowered because we don't need to go to the moon. We're just stretching a line to the door. And then, and the next one builds off of that and it builds off of that and it builds off of that. So,
0: so with the fire trainings, yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be rocket science. And I think for a lot of departments, you just have to start somewhere. It it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, like you don't have to do every single week or intense practices every week. You need to start somewhere. I remember what I was going to say. Um, (laughs) So, I I mean, I'm assuming you're going to agree with me that us as firefighters, Um, We want interesting practices though, and practices that are actually going to make us work and do work to keep us actually engaged in the practice. And I wonder if, if it's been the trend of kind of not dumbing down practices, but just making them too easy on people and just wanting to take it easy on the guys, let's say, right. The quote unquote, everyone guys, are we training people to not want to be there and to take everything too easily and to not put work into it anymore and just getting bored with coming to practice almost
1: yeah um all of it so (laughs) when you said that that, the the take it easy part um I I belong to the Rhinebeck volunteer fire company I've I've been in like more fire departments than I've had pairs of underwear sometimes it seems but um (laughs) I lived in Rhinebeck for a couple of years uh, at the village of Rhinebeck in New York. And I joined that fire department. I was very excited for it. They had a, they have a really badass ladder truck. um, And uh, you know, and just a good group of people, but there is a member there who would always tell me like, Hey, like, and we would pitch a new idea. We would do some training and we would talk about it. And he was one of those ones who was like, Hey, like, we're not paid guys. Like, you know, we're just volunteers. And he would always kind of slow it down a little bit. And I was like, why lower the expectation though? Mm-hmm. I was like, the, the public doesn't care. They're calling the fire department. They expect you to come in. And I was like, you know, and I told him one day, I was like, you have stories of your past where like, you know, your younger self, you weren't saying that you were just a volunteer. Like, you were like, get out of my way. I'm a volunteer. Like, I'm going to go in and get like, you know, and, and we're talking some like, a real aggressive stuff. So I think the fire service does um, in a lot of ways now, they worry about pushing members off from training because we've had, and I don't want to call it a training, training scar, but we've had those people who are a little, they get a little ego, they get a little um, authority and like training goes from training where you're supposed to learn something and harness a skill to beating the shit out of people for no reason. And that's, that's a problem. And like when we see that we have to call that out immediately But like, on the same time, when the people are like, hey, we're just volunteers, like, no, like, you're the person coming to answer my call. Like, my wife drives from my house all the way up to Rhinebeck. And it's, for the most part, I believe it's 100% volunteer coverage. Like, I don't need that person to, if my wife's in an accident and she's trapped in the car, like, they can't, you know, not get her out and say, well, I was just a volunteer, sorry. Like, you know, no, like, we expect the public expects us to perform you know so we have to do that um the other thing I hope so no, no go ahead
0: well I was gonna say the people say career and volunteer are different they are correct in that they are ran differently from the inside from the authority from the way they're structured on the inside from the minute you step into the apparatus bay though they should be exactly the same
1: yeah I mean the expectation is from the public Mm -hmm. is the same um And one of the things I was going to talk about, I wrote down training issues, but I was like, I put gear donning and drills and like stretching lines and water on the fire. And one of the things that I think we often miss the point is connecting the dots.
2: Mm. So
1: like one of the first things that, and you can ask any of the probies that I've had when you come out of the academy uh, at Fairview, like we do gear donning and doffing drills. And I have a 60 second standard that you have to be from street clothes to on air within 60 seconds. and the New York state fire Academy is an interesting organization and they're, they're going through some growing pains and uh, you know, some training scars of their own to put it lightly. But one of the things that always happens is when I do this, the guys are like turning on their bottle and then they're like 4,500 PSI, it matches to the regulator. And I'm like, Hey, like, that's really good firefighter one shit, but like ditch that. The public doesn't care. Cause you check your air pack in the beginning, let's go. Yeah. And like, I, I hammer them on it. And then Typically what I see is a minute 30 is when I get them down there and then I go and get my gear and they're like, Oh shit, the old guy with gray hair is going to do this with me. And then nobody has a problem getting under 60
2: seconds.
1: (laughs) But my point in all this is I said like, listen, we're not going to have a situation where necessarily that we're not going to put our stuff on, but like, we could be out on that ambulance call and our ambulances, we run two BLS ambulances. They have SCBA, they have a, a set of irons and a hook and a can. I was like, you could be at the hospital, could call for a structure fire and get there and flames are blowing out the window. And that's where the 60 second drill comes in into play because now it's the real deal. You have to give a size up. You're going to be the first arriving unit. You got to find a place to beach the ambulance and then you've got to get dressed. And every second is counting when mom is yelling that the three kids are trapped in the third floor in the back bedroom. And And you're going to
0: be taking a minute and a half to get in your gear and on air while you're staring at that kid.
1: Well, not necessarily like just the building. Yeah. 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 They're pulling you like they're trying to help. Like, and so like, it's, it's that whole going from the known to the unknown, you know, uh, like stretching the line and like, you know, I love using YouTube because so many people are putting pre-arrival videos and I always have a stopwatch on my phone or I used to have a yellow one that I annoyed, uh, my one captain with, but like, I start the stopwatch when the maxi brake or the parking brake gets pulled on the engine. And I see how long it takes a department to pull a line and get water on the fire. And I'm not saying that we have to sprint and run like a a crazy person, but the house is on fire. Like this is somebody's livelihood. It's, you know, there could be somebody trapped. We know that the faster we get water on the fire, the faster we're going to have a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. And you start watching some of these videos and you really just start watching the seconds tick away and you watch this fire get more involved and it just, you know, it consumes more. The conditions inside are becoming much more uh, untenable. And then you see people trying to stretch a line and they're just, I mean, it's like we're thumbs, you know, they, they, they can't do it. Um, I, the, the telltale sign to me is I hear the, that primer pull, right? We're going we're using <laughs> tank water and we're pulling the primer. And I, I've uh-huh. never understood that because I've never had an issue where I would just pull tank to pump and the waters come in like it's designed to and out. Yeah. And maybe somebody will correct us in the comments of our podcast here. No,
0: you but, shouldn't pull the primer unless you're drafting.
1: Right. So like, yeah. but like there's all of a sudden this long primer pull, and I'm like, this house is on fire. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> like, if if you're drafting that makes sense. If you're not drafting, what are you doing? You're wasting right. time. You're you, you yeah.
1: So it's and and, it, and, and it, it's I u- utilize these things like on my in my career department to just illustrate what we're doing so I can set the mindset and the videos don't take long. And then when we go out to do the training, they're like, all right. And I'm like, hey, remember what we just watched? Somebody's home burned down because it took the fire department five minutes after they pulled the parking brake, to take the water that they carried in the tank, put it through the hose and out the nozzle. So let's see how fast we can do this. Like, take your time but be quick about it, you know? And and I think that kind of mindset needs to start coming down, but I don't think we as a fire service have taught people how to actually run these drills. We've taught them how to have a lesson plan, how to have Maslow's hierarchy of needs met, you know, uh, have an enabling objective, you know, and all these other things that go with it. But like, we actually haven't been like, here's how you really do it.
0: Well, if nothing else, you always focus on a small part of the drill, which is important to get the skills down right we need that especially for just refining and getting faster you need to to separate those skills but yeah same as i don't see people put those skills together into a big scenario and actually go hit the fire fake or real or whatever in their training scenario often enough from start to finish you know from actual page out
1: yeah so we did we did uh 45 minutes the other day and in 45 minutes we had thrown ground ladders. We had stretch lines, we had flowed water, massed up, um, did a little bit of stuff on positioning. We ended up shooting the stick up uh, off the ladder truck up to the building. And like it all happened. And I think the other thing, and my only point other point is this, is that like there's a point where you have to like kind of let go of the reins a little bit and let, let, let the people work, let your people do work because if they're given the opportunity and you give them some lanes, uh, lanes to travel in, they're going to, they're going to pleasantly surprise
2: you.
0: You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. an interesting thought. Cause I, I've seen people do it once in a while, mostly in like at, at conferences or other outside trainings or things, but that is, um, that is very interesting to let, let the scenario keep playing out, let them do things. Don't don't fix things don't stop it when you want to stop it necessarily let it play out as long as you as long as you possibly can and almost see what they do next Mm -hmm. see if they actually continue it
1: we did a a really good i and i i got this idea i I, it might have been from firex talk or it might have been an interview from somewhere um but i did a drill one day where i started uh we we did a uh, evolution, or fast evolution for everybody in the Northeast because we don't believe in rit we call it fast still but um regardless I
0: actually, I'm apparently so new into this I've never heard fast
1: it's all, it's it's all good it's um I I believe it's mainly a New York City term but r- okay. regardless like we did a firefighter down scenario so we yeah. went in the basement we got the guy out and while this was happening our volunteer EMS captain was there and I had him get a mannequin a CPR mannequin and put it in the ambulance and like so everybody came out like the scenario they got it done. And I was like, they're like, all right, everybody start taking your stuff off. Let's talk about what happened, what went well. And we did the whole critique. And then I pointed to one of the guys, it was uh, Mike at the time. And I said, Mike, just do me a favor, lay down. So he laid down because he didn't take everything off. And I was like, Mike just had a heart attack. This is the real drill. Get him out of his gear, put him on the stretcher. We're going to do a working code to the hospital. And they're like, what? And I'm like, Mike's dead. Get to like, let's do this. And. I made them like, like do the whole like get him out of his turnout here and and fumble fuck with all that stuff, and then like when it came time to getting the like they like our our firehouse we can't get the stretcher out without pulling the ambulance out, so like one of them was like I was like get him in the ambulance let's go like what are we doing has anybody called his wife you know and like just kind of putting pressure on him in the background, Mm -hmm. um, and like they got the stretcher out they got him on the stretcher I was like all right you guys get in the other ambulance, and like leave Mike alone and like we like we had Eric had everything set up and I made them do CPR like to the hospital, like the whole, like, you know, so it was yeah. a, it was a start to, you know, beginning to end or whatever, you yeah. know, but like it was outside the box because I, like, that was not what they were expecting. And it was just, you know, it was a good, good thing, but it was also very, very, you know, very real,
0: I guess. I don't know. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> and I got the idea because there was a guy who did that and he actually ended up having a heart attack. And the guys, as he was collapsing, he remembered them being like, really?
0: Oh, goodness.
1: <laughs> and he woke up and, you know, as he, as he put it, I got the coldest breath of air I've ever taken before.
0: Well, it happens and it can happen on a training. I mean, it, yep. you hear stories of it all over the place. You know, so people should not get, be getting too comfortable. So you, again fire service you need to be prepared for anything to happen kind of at any time and just let your training kick in Mm -hmm. for that
1: now i I think another thing too taylor like we talked about this before in clubhouse with some things but like on the aspect of training on more global scale like there's nobody out there that talks really about how the volunteer fire service is actually really fighting fires
2: yeah
1: (laughs) like if i if i pick up an ifsta book or jones and bartlett or any of the other major manufacturers of books out there like i think every scenario is like your your initial response is three engines two ladders and a heavy rescue you know there's uh 35 people on scene within seven minutes with you know this many gallons of water and and fire hydrants and all this stuff that like is not really what we actually do yeah. And I, I know in the past we talked about that because where you guys were previously, there was limited manpower,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like pretty much all the time. There was all like, the time, there's limited manpower, and there was like not enough manpower, is pretty much how you <laughs> <laughs> the two shifts ran it. But like, um, I think it's like really important because like we we get firefighter one, and our members are really excited about this, and they've learned all this stuff. And then they come back to the firehouse and we almost have to retrain them because the reality is we're not actually doing what, what they, nobody's doing what they taught or teach in the book.
0: So you want to hear something interesting, at least I know in Nebraska, I don't know about other states, but I know at least in Nebraska, there's no, um, there's no uh, official word out there of needing to have firefighter one to be on a volunteer department. Now, different volunteer departments have their own what's the word I'm looking for have their own um,
1: regulation standards thank
0: you, standards for it and stuff um, so they can require it but there's nothing official in Nebraska that says you have to have firefighter one so in a lot of these very small rural communities most people don't if anyone has it maybe one to three people have mm-hmm. it in these communities unless the department has has had it in their bylaws that you have to have it so I mean, like I, I, we don't necessarily have to go that down that rabbit tra- rabbit trail yet <laughs> on that. Um, but you're right with the way they're training it in the book and then trying to manipulate that into the way fires actually getting fought and the way we actually do it. You know, I know it's the same at least with career departments. you know, you go through the Firefighter One book and they still just tell you, oh, this is the actual way you do it too. You don't follow this. So why the, is it getting written
1: that way in the first yeah, the, place? The ifst manual was the same for me as it was as a volunteer, as it was a career firefighter in the academy. The, like the manual was the same. It was just the instructors who were teaching it were different calibers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and honestly, I don't know. I mean, I I I don't have an answer for that. I, I know that you know states and whatnot ad- adopt certain curriculums and they 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 buy into the books that they they get and that's what they teach, but. Yeah, I don't I don't have an answer for you, <laughs> but I know it's something that we have to we constantly have to work with because you know I think I I, I was watching a video on TikTok and it was really cool because it was a volunteer fire department who was using TikTok to advertise for membership. And I thought that was the awesome thing in the world because like at least they're on a, on a social media platform that young people are looking at.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was a big fan of the video until they were like crawling on all fours. And I was like, who, who crawls like a, like, you know, and I was just like that, like, it was legitimate. Like they read a training document and this is what they were doing. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's the wrong way and I'm not saying it's the right way, but like, I mean, I, I just, I've had a very hard time crawling in in the houses on my hands and knees. The
0: the first time I learned the tripod method, I was amazed. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me so much faster. It made me so much more confident in my searching and in even dragging lines because what I had been taught was you're still on all fours dragging lines. It was a nightmare to do that. Learning the tripod method and stuff like that, I can't remember the actual what they actually call it for the pulling hose lines at the moment, but pinch method, maybe something like that. I I love that one, but it, it. it's so different. And granted, with the firefighter one and with the books, at least information starting to get flowing. You're learning stuff from it. I mean, I don't think we'd argue that in any case, you're learning stuff from it if you don't know anything about fire, it's yeah. getting you somewhere. It's just honestly very annoying that you still have to almost reteach a lot of things to people who have been drilled in. This is how you do it. And you have to just completely change it all.
1: Yeah. And it's, and I think it's also why it's so important because like for a lot of departments, you know, and I saw this in some of the departments that I volunteered and they do, like, you know, if, if you come in as a volunteer where I work, because we're combination department and you're taking firefighter one, once you, once you hit the SCBA portion
2: mm-hmm.
1: of that class, I'm working with you, um, as an officer in an SCBA like we are going to start reinforcing that because the more time I get you in that pack the more comfortable you are and the more we can start like I had a guy once he's like well we haven't done search yet I was like it's all right I'm going to teach you the wrong way and how to do this um and he was like what do you mean you're going to teach me I'm like the state's going to teach you one way but I'm going to teach you how to actually search a room today
2: <laughs> and like we're
1: going to like crawl walk run you know like whatever like the, you know we do the thing but like yeah it's yeah. it's so important because like especially when people are going to that class like if we're not if we're not there with them while they're doing it, then, and I mean, we don't have to go to class with them, but if we're not, not seeing them on the, on the drill night at the firehouse or whatever the, you know, weekly equipment test whatever the, whatever, whatever we're calling that one night at the firehouse, if we're not checking in with them and we're not, you know, doing something with them, we're going to have a lot of work to do when they, when they graduate and, and they get through that firefighter one and they come back to us and, you know, I mean, I, there's departments that just, hey, you got firefighter one. Cool. You're now an interior firefighter. Congratulations. And like, it is what it is, you know, but some people will work out fine and some are going to have a huge learning curve. Um, but yeah, we, we have to be involved, I guess, is really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah. Well, and like you were saying how, you know, they get taught in the book that you have how many engine companies and truck companies stuff coming, you get an uninvolved department, you might only have one truck there with four to five people on it. For five or ten minutes, depending on when the second truck comes out, you know. Um, let's say on a good day, you have two trucks that get rolled right away. You have an engine and truck. Well, and, and a lot of times volunteer departments they combine their trucks and engines kind of into the same thing, and they put a lot of both tools on both things. Um, I know ours did that, and a lot of them around us did that just to make it easier. So, you would you you might have two two engines coming, you know, and whatever, but. You still don't have enough people around to do all those different jobs they need to do. To have a search team and and a suppression team, you know, for that, you you can't do it. So you have to start combining and merging. And it's a lot of times if they just go through the firefighter one course and they don't have a department that they're on or other people willing to work with them or teach them or able to do that, they don't get the real world. You're going to be short staffed, and you have to find a way around that to make it still work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A
1: handful of times have I been on a four person hose line, you know? <laughs>
0: like yeah.
1: Just not a reality, but we teach yeah. that, you know, we teach the, we teach the four person or five person search, search, and you know, search teams. Like, I mean, I, I have searched houses by myself,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and my partner has been putting out the fire. Like it, it's just, that's how that stuff is going to roll. So, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about off camera or off, off because you know, we're not videoing this, right? <laughs>
0: you, yeah. you can say no. off camera, you can, whatever.
1: But I uh, know before we started, we were talking about like um, you had asked to, to change uh, gears a little bit about like being a career firefighter, but also being a volunteer and, you know, kind of phrased up the question of like, Hey, is it important for you to take part in the training? Because there's some people who don't, or, you know, whatever, whatever the might, the case might be, but like, my my answer to that was, hey, like it's very important, and I and and one of the reasons why it's so important is because, you know, which is actually why I'm going to be resigning, unfortunately, from from my the department that I belong to is that like I haven't made the drills, I haven't made the training, so like I'm lacking in the spirit decor, so to speak, of working with my other fellow volunteers. But like when I'm in, I'm in, and I need I need to be at the training. Like you know what, I don't need to be taught how to hit a fire hydrant. I've got that down. Is there something I could learn? 100%, but it's just being there and being part of it because it's like, it's kind of like that whole embrace the suck thing. Like I'm going to do the skill with you because it's just as important as I do it, as you do it. Because, you know, if, if I'm in that, in that, if I hop in and I'm in that writing assignment, that's what I'm going to do that day.
0: Well, so not making just sure all- that I'm taking, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, that's, that's
0: it. <laughs> Zoom's just a little bit of a lag, but it's really hard. <laughs> but it's not just, yeah, the, the, the knowing, the learning of the skills, the practicing the skills with them and stuff like that. But I I think it's super important if you're somebody who's a career, who's also volunteering that you do make it to the practices. It's something that I, I very much stand for that you should, you should be there. Not necessarily that you need the, extra practice or work or something for it but just to be able to bond with those people better because you have to trust them and they have to trust you just as much and more likely than not they're going to work differently than what your career department does even if they're very very close and on the edge of the same time or whatever there's always something different of how they do things and you can't come in there and do things the way you've been doing on the career side and expect them to change <laughs> or accommodate you necessarily, you know, it's, it's not always going to work that way. And it might actually make things harder on everybody than if you were to just learn how they do things and kind of remember and work on that when you're there, but you have to have time that you can, you, you can work on that while you're practicing with them and training with them and to be able to implement it. So.
1: I remember I had somebody once who told me they were intimidated by the fact that i was a career guy and they thought it was like they were like yeah i'm not sure if i should like say things or like like and they were just they didn't want to talk and i'm like no I like you need, to, it. you need to tell me if you see something like i don't see everything like i want you to communicate with me i want you like don't like here i'm a volunteer just like you like i may have some more training i may have some more experience but there's other areas where you probably know a lot more than I do and vice versa and we're here to play off of that and like it's very important for you to very much communicate what's going on to me like i'm I'm a big talker I like talking um I like talking on the fireground like not unnecessarily it's not like I'm sitting there you know it was the best of times and it was the worst of times is <laughs> this you know like but but like I am a firm believer in like either, declaring tasks that are done or like hey i'm going to search this room down the hall or (laughs) i'm i'm we're moving forward you know whatever it might be because i feel like that's just good communication and i want you to tell me stuff like i want you to 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 talk to me i don't want you to ever feel like if you say something i am be like you son of a bitch why did you say that out loud (laughs) like no like that's not that's not how this works you know
0: I I can definitely see that though, because I would, I honestly would be one of those people. If, if somebody from a career department, if they have a couple of years on, even if it's less years than I have on the volunteer side or whatever, they are doing this for a career. And in my mind, they almost outrank me automatically, even if I'm the same level or even above them on a volunteer department, it's a very hard thing to break in your brain that yeah, you are the same level as them. When you come on that department, it's something different and they have different experiences from you. Or even if they don't, even if they aren't as well trained as you or as well versed as you in, in responding to calls, they can see things from the outside. I mean, you can see it with um, personal problems and with fire problems and with political problems, whatever. If you see things from the outside, it's a lot easier to then use correcting something on yourself. Mm -hmm. So.
1: And I love questions. (laughs) <laughs> I want people to ask me things, you know, like, hey, why did you do this? Yeah. How, why did you approach it this way? Like, you know, like, what were you thinking when you did this? You know, like, cause I, I want to understand where your mind was and and vice versa. Like it's a two-way streak. Like I want to like figure out like, hey, why were you doing that, Taylor? Like, why did you get off the truck and you selected those tools? Well, because I, you know, I don't know if you happen to notice from all the corn, but we're in the Midwest and- <laughs> Like the ceilings in the barn are kind of high, so you're going to need a longer pipe pole, like something like that. Like, all right, like cool, like, you know, like why? Why did you grab bolt cutters? Well, because you might have to, you know, if if the fire isn't involving the milk room and uh, and where the cows are, we might have to cut the the chains off, and and it's the easiest way to get the cows out of there. Whatever the case might be, you know, like,
2: yeah,
1: it's just like there's different, like, what I carry in my pockets is not going to be the same that you carry in your pockets because of the buildings that we're responding to, but. It's just as much, it's like the National Fire Radio. We started doing apparatus innovations because we figured out that the the Midwest is building a Midwest fire truck. The Northeast is building a Northeast fire truck. The South is building a South fire truck. The West Coast is doing West Coast shit. Um, You know, the Upper (laughs) Peninsula is doing what they do. Like there's all these different fire apparatus that are being built. And we're not talking about, like nobody was talking about and highlighting the innovations that were happening on fire apparatus.
0: And why are they different? Yeah.
1: And, and the why behind like, Hey, like we see this, like what, why is this here? Like we, we met San Diego when we were out at Pierce and like, I, I've never done wildland urban interface stuff before, you know, that's just not, that's not in our wheelhouse in, in the state of New York, especially not to the scale that they do it in California, but like they had these hooks in the back of the truck that like they are like poles that come out and you know, they're, they're on the length of the hose bed, but they essentially can loop the attack line off the back and just put it on there. So it's like forms a, a big loop. Like once they're done using it, they can quickly like kind of loop it up there and they can just literally ride the tail step to the next, to the next house. They have to do uh, interface protection with, and then the poles push in the hose drops out. They can stretch it back. You know, it's it's just That's as quick.
0: such a good idea.
1: Right. And it, and that, like that won't work where I work, but when I was a volunteer and I was doing wildland fires or brush fires, as we just call them, mm-hmm. and we had to move the mini pumper because oh shit, like now it's over here and we're there's only three trucks here, like so we gotta move it. Like instead of dragging that hose all around with us or trying to just lop it up over into the hose bed and hope for the Usually best. What like, we did. <laughs> yeah, like it there's dead space. Like this is something like you could do an in-house fabrication and have this on your truck, and mm-hmm. it it was perfect, you know. So, like stupid stuff like that, or um, I think the best one I saw was Gluckstack, Mississippi. And for anybody from Gluckstack, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. Uh, we were intoxicated when we met you and we were, you know, very. Um, but anyway, on the on the front cowling of the engine on the corner, they took a brow light that would normally be up high and they put it on this front corner piece. And we're like, Hey, why do you do that? And they're like, Oh, well, in, in, in Gluckstack, Mississippi, the town code says you have to have a Brass mailbox with a copper number on it, and it's really hard to spot at night. So instead of having the brow lights up here, we put them down here. And when we turn them on, you can definitely see the mailbox, and you can see how deep the ditch is. So you can make a wider swing into that into that driveway when you're going in towards the house.
2: Hmm. that's
1: cool. Like, <laughs> genius.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And they're like, "Oh yeah, we've had this on a and, and it's now a um, item on Pierce's." fire apparatus when you're ordering it like it is a it is an option Mm -hmm. but we highlighted it and we talked about it and like there's so many people who are like holy crap like why didn't we think about that you know but it's just it, it, it is it's one of those weird things you know so like that's that's kind of the cool thing about that you know
0: yeah no it's amazing I love the fact that you guys get to talk to so many people from across the the U.S. and see all these different trucks and see things like that it It'd be nice if there was, like, a. if you guys ever feel like it, get a database of, like, oh, this is the cool stuff the Midwest has come up with, or this is the cool stuff, you know, whatever. Just, like, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of We it. have
1: tens of thousands of photos, <laughs> and it's literally, like, just cataloging all of it. Like, it's been, it's one of the major projects that we want to, you know what, Taylor, we'll, we will hire you as we pay horrible. The working conditions are, are miserable, but, like, we'll, we'll get you on to help
2: us. Wouldn't be the so
0: bad wouldn't be so bad i could i could totally do it just open up lightroom and tag everything in there it'd be be done in a snap (laughs) taylor (laughs) okay do free work
1: (laughs) i know one thing that i sent you was um you know like and we, we talked about it a little bit beforehand off camera but like the memorable fires thing and yeah. just to kind of like rotate back towards like the training and like the buildup of training and like everything else. Like in in, in January 2012, um, you know, it, it was it was a cold night. We had a storm front moving in and it was a night like any other night. We went to bed.
0: Sorry, that sounded like a really great like intro to us like a movie or something.
1: Oh, yeah. OK, okay. go
0: on. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Um, but we got a uh, we got a call early in the morning for house fire um and it it was very dramatic in its dispatch it was like a house fire fully involved with people trapped
0: oh geez
1: and we responded to the call uh obviously and then like when we pulled into the block we could smell the house burning but we couldn't see it and there was a police car in front of the building and it was when they first started switching over to led lights so like i just remember i was like wow it's like really bright but i don't see the fire and the led lights from the light bar ended up drowning out the light of the fire for where we would normally be able to see the glow. And when we pulled up in front of this place, um, it was, it was, it was going from stem to stern, like, and a yes. bunch of kids outside, uh, and college students, um, it was the quietest I've ever heard. And I, I always wonder if it was like auditory exclusion on my part from being cause like, I don't want to say I didn't expect fire. Um, cause I, I know people had said like, Hey, it's fully involved, blah, blah. blah. Um, but when we pulled into the block and and we actually passed the house, I was like, wow, like this thing is, this is, this is more than a good job and, and it was well involved. And, um, but at the end of the day, like I was driving the engine and I worked the hardest I had ever worked before, uh, as a pump operator, like stretching lines, just trying to do everything that I could do to be helpful to make this outcome a little bit better Uh, ultimately we lost um three college students and um carrie eva and kevin um and you know it was it was a it was a tough it was a tough call um i don't talk about the night too too much but uh everything that i had worked up to up until that point from being a volunteer in pg county and like running lines and really t- taking ownership of what my job was as a firefighter played into an effect that night to make me the most effective firefighter that I could be to give those kids the best chance that they had. And sometimes the cards aren't dealt in our favor. And mm-hmm. that night, unfortunately it wasn't, um, you know, and, and we, and we lost uh, three of them, but we did. Uh, like Sorry. Said,
0: that sucks. Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I have not gone through a a fire with a fatality um, before, but I can only begin to imagine, I'm going to say, just how, I don't know, I don't know how you even begin to to wrap your head around that or cope with that or because you're right sometimes there's nothing you can do differently sometimes it's just all stacked against you and even if you train as good as you train it's not going to help anything you you help for making it worse yes but you can't make anything better and I think us as firefighters we strive. we yes we're adrenaline junkies we're not I'm not gonna you know (laughs) slide that because that's Mm -hmm. that that's totally true but we we don't want to go to fires to see people's stuff burn down see them lose their homes to see them lose lives that's that doesn't bring at least me if i'm i know you or other people doesn't bring us joy that's not why yeah, we love yeah. to do it, going to fires we love going to fires to make things better to make things as good as we can and to to save as much as we can and so when you can't save anything from where it was when you only stop it from getting worse it's a feeling that is almost indescribable
2: yeah
1: I I, I related to the experiences despair like and and being very much like helpless and especially knowing how much work we did in the beginning. Um, and then knowing what the result ended up being but at the same time you know it it was what it was um and i i, I you know one of the things that i do on the side is i'm a member of the hudson valley critical incident stress Debriefing team and we're very fortunate we have this old guy with us howard um he is a hippie um he's a a, a, a psychiatric um doctor or a psychiatrist sorry uh for um he worked for hudson valley or no Harlem River Psychiatric Center, like, he was he was essentially locked into a mental health unit with some of the state's worst. So Howard's seen some shit. Yeah. And you look at him, and you're just like, this is not a, a psychiatrist. There's no way. But, like, he's got a fanny pack, he's got his hair and a ponytail, and he drives a Prius, and he's just everything. Like, if, <laughs> if, if you could, you know, profile a Prius driver who's an older white male, it's Howard. <laughs> But I digress. Yeah. When we do debriefings, one of the things Howard always says is that like in these final moments of these people's lives, you know, when that transition was happening from the living to the dead and that soul or whatever you want to believe was there, that person or people were surrounded by people who unconditionally loved them and cared about them. And we always tell people that that is what we we did. You know, when we showed up, like even though the situation was helpless, there was no good outcome like that person was surrounded by love and people who unconditionally cared about them. They didn't care what political party they belonged to. They didn't care about their race. They didn't care about their sex or gender or any of the other hot topic issues that are out today. We just cared about that person unconditionally. And to somebody that's out there beyond us, that matters. And it was that bit of advice that I had heard many times that finally rang true for me in that hopeless and helpless situation was that at the end, at no point in time did we ever disrespect those people who were lost. We treated them with dignity, you know, from the start to the finish. And and we held on to that. And it's so important for us to kind of remember that because that was like I said, that was a, a very pivotal fire for me because I never seen such young life snuffed out, no pun intended, in such a in such a manner before. Um, yeah and there was three kids who had the world in front of them and it ended but at the end like we surrounded them with complete love and it, like i said it might sound corny to some people but it is it is what it is who and cares? that's what
0: sounds corny i mean people worry too much about sounding corny that they aren't they aren't expressing what they're actually feeling and Funny. it the reason something is corny is because it there is truth to it somewhere. There there is a part of you that wants to hear that and that needs to hear that.
2: Yeah.
0: And everyone, everyone says everyone, everyone talks about it sounding corny and they play it off. But we need more of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, because it's the truth, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: So we ended the uh we started that year horribly, but we ended that year with um getting a grab at the end of it. We had a fire on Yates Avenue in Fairview. And uh, uh my partner and I, Ryan Keefe, um, we were able to uh we had a basement fire come in. There was people reported trapped and we started having like, you know, a, a millisecond of a flashback of being like, oh crap, don't let this happen again. Um but we we got on scene, like I ended up uh, you know, mule kicking the front door in and, and I could hear a guy and I was like, Hey, just come towards me. He was like, what? He was so overcome by the smoke. So I just ended up like bear hugging into like a blind sweep, almost like a thing of the finger sweep for the Heimlich maneuver. And like, <laughs> I, I grabbed this guy and I pulled him out of the house. And his wife was up the stairs or up on the second floor and the fire was in the basement. And, um, we ended up going up, the, up the stairs. We found the woman. Um, she was very worried about her dog and understandably so, I looked through the thermal imaging camera and Ryan said, I got it. And I could see this firefighter and he looked like he was going to make a running play. Like it was the longest yard or something. But he had this little dog stuffed up underneath his underneath his arm, uh, like a football and the dog. Like I remember I could see the outline of the dog and the dog just belonged there. Like it was like, okay, this guy's here to help me. And we dragged this woman out and we got, and she went unconscious going down the stairs and, uh, but we got out, like we passed her off, we passed the dog off, and then we went to the basement and put the fire out. So all these things happened very quickly, but it was a positive outcome, and it was a positive outcome because we took something very tragic and we pushed ourselves to become better firefighters. We pushed ourselves to make sure that we were meeting a standard that we set for ourselves because we knew what the gravest extreme looked like. We knew what happens if even we do everything right on a good day, and then and there's a bad result. so, Um, that was like a kind of a positive cap at the end of the year. And it wasn't until our annual dinner where we were getting an award for it, that we were able to hear the chief read a letter from the woman and she, she was making her peace with God, uh, you know, on that second floor. So to know that we had that kind of positive impact, like for me, I was like, holy shit, like (laughs) I'm just supposed to go to fire (laughs) and have fun. And (laughs) it was definitely... It was definitely impactful. So like for me, like I always tell people that, like I said, like, listen, I, I even bring, I even bring new people to that, to the addresses. And I say, this is where things went, everything went right and things went horribly wrong. And here's a place where everything went right and it worked. And this is what this woman said to me. And, you know, take this shit seriously because one day there's going to be somebody who's preparing themselves like that. And you're going to come through the smoke and get them out. And that's very important. So like, it's just all goes back to that whole bracketing and framing training and getting us in that mindset, no matter what, whether we're taking a paycheck or we're, you know, a career, uh, a volunteer somewhere, it doesn't matter because the person who's making that piece doesn't know who's coming to get them. They just know that they think the end is coming. And if we're there and we can, we can get them awesome, you know? So,
0: Your public deserves, the community deserves to have firefighters, career volunteers that are willing to do that and who are trained to do that. And we should be, we should be honored and we should fight to be trained to that level and want to do that. There's not many people who will do this and it's hard to find volunteers and people who want to apply to career jobs all the time. Mm -hmm. Everyone's always searching. And right now it's even worse. People are really just trying to get people to start knocking on the doors and come in. And if, if those of us who are left at the moment, don't take those chances to train and don't take it seriously, I don't want to see anyone end up in a situation where they lose somebody unnecessarily. Yeah. Where it could you have know, been
1: avoided. Kurt Isaacson, I think says it's worth the risk all mm-hmm. the time. And like, he's, he's right because it is worth the risk. And if there's anybody out there that's like on the edge about this, like, you know, I think we both can say, uh, it's worth the risk to, to, to come through that door, to do the training, to, to dedicate your life to this, because the, uh, the payoff is huge, you know, and, and it's more, there's no numeric value we can put on that.
0: And if, if you don't think you're in shape for it or whatever, I mean, I am kind of testament to this. I am, I'm starting a new workout regimen and stuff like that here actually today and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm not happy with where I'm at, but guess what? I'm going to fix it. So that way, if I get put in a situation or whatever, my training's going to be better. My working is going to be better. I'm going to be better for it. So if you don't think you're fit enough to do it, start doing something, making a change to get in that direction to be able to do this quote unquote job.
2: Yeah.
1: 100%.
0: So uh, is there anything else you want to touch on in regards to any of the members things or strictly fire stuff?
1: No, I, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> and quite honestly, like this podcast may get negative reviews. So I don't,
0: <laughs> I don't
1: want to bring anything down.
0: I am I'm, I'm prepared for negative reviews. I've already been <laughs> through plenty of them. So don't worry. <laughs> um, so if you're all right, I kind of want to move on to an almost unrelated. Well, it is unrelated, but I feel like I need to talk about, I need to come up with a name for the section of the show. Okay. But I don't know what to call it. So I'll come up with it later. But unless you have something really awesome on your brain right now to call it.
1: <laughs> a light a fire. It's, there's smoke coming. So it's gonna, we're going to have fire showing soon. So it's all right.
0: From me or from you?
1: for me (laughs) we'll, we'll formulate this while we're going through
0: it okay I want to start talking about uh marriage and family and because honestly if people haven't listened to past episodes I am married to a now career firefighter we were both volunteer for a while but now he's career and it's fantastic but I was going through a hard time for a little while getting used to this. And that's just academy life. This isn't even getting into the actual on shift life of full 24 hour shifts. I need as much information and advice as I can get. (laughs) And I think if I'm having questions about this and if I want people's opinions and their advice and how things work for them, other people must too. It's something I haven't heard talked about enough. And I, I really want to start bringing that to light because as much as we all love the fire service, I am wholeheartedly a believer in family should come first. And we need to figure out (laughs) how to keep the fire and first responder divorce rate as low as possible. (laughs) And to keep keep our families happy and to keep everything working right. So um, We
1: we should call this segment family firefighter survival.
0: Hey, thank you. Can I use that for forever?
1: Yes. Okay. And we can also, like, its initials will be FFS. So some people will think we're saying, for fuck's sake, but no, we can totally do family firefighter survival. So family...
0: Oh, that's perfect. Family firefighter, for fuck's firefighter.
1: sake, family firefighter survival. Let's do it now.
0: Perfect. I love it. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. This is why you're on tonight. Cause I just, we're
1: trademarking the shit out of this, everybody. It's already trademarked. Our attorneys uh, are on it. So <laughs> don't even try.
0: Are you an attorney now? Is one of your personalities an attorney?
1: No, 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 no. I'm just, Taylor, uh, I'm trying to make it seem like we're bigger than we actually are. So,
0: okay, sorry. Let's
1: roll with this. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah. All right. So,
0: family firefighters, firefighter, sur-
1: firefight- family firefighter survival.
0: Or is it firefighter family survival?
1: No, because the family comes first.
0: Oh, very nice. Very, very nice. All right. Thank you. Family firefighter survival segment. All right. So, um, I'm just going to kind of give you a couple different questions and you can kind of just go wherever you want to with them. So I was okay. going to kind of say a few things off the top of my head mm-hmm. and just feel like, yeah, go wherever. So, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you a chance to answer these in between the questions. So it's just, you can just kind of go into your story after this, but when you went through Academy stuff, first of all, were you in a relationship? Were you not? How did things work? If you were Um, When you went on shift for 24-hour shifts, I'm assuming you have had that work, stuff like that. Um, What stuff look like now for you? Do you have anything you guys regularly do to help with that? And was there anything big that, if you want to talk about, that happened in ways you found to work around it or other issues or things like that? So I'll kind of either re-ask these questions if you need it or kind of pop in once in a while and ask for deeper things if you need or more clarification on yeah. things. But so yeah.
1: All right. So the Academy, I was single. Um I had a horrible mustache. Uh that was quite hellacious. Um and I'll 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 find a picture of that one day um and send that to you and then you'll be like, we are deleting this podcast. This man is creepy. Um <laughs> so
0: well I think mustaches are creepy so there's that. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's all good. I get it. Um, <laughs> like if I grow one, Chris Hansen comes out and is like, Hi, right, are you a fairy 39? Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, I didn't have anybody in the academy, um, except myself and my family, and I was just trying to survive and get through it because I had a couple issues going on behind <laughs> the scenes. Um, you know, it, it, everybody makes mistakes, so it's one of those things that I can talk about, but um, at the time. I, prior to getting hired, I had a motor vehicle accident and unbeknownst to me, my insurance had lapsed. Mm
2: -hmm. So I
1: paid the other person's insurance claim. Um, like the insurance company is like, Hey, and I was like, yep, I'll pay it. Like, I didn't realize it happened. I got the insurance back, whatever else fixed it. And then, uh, once the, once I had made the payment, that insurance company through a clerical error, reported me to the state of New York so mid stride through the academy, my driving license was suspended and restricted.
0: Dang.
1: And I was like, "Shit, I'm gonna lose my job because of this." Mm-hmm. So I could I had a restricted license for a year, so I could drive to work and at work, and then back home from work, and to like where my residence was. So like I had to do some, you know, weird. I had like I had essentially, I made my mom's house my permanent like my residence again on my license so I could see my mother mm-hmm. and go to Sullivan County. Um, and then I could, uh, but like I had an apartment in because, you know, I mean, obviously like it wasn't a big deal there, but it's just down the street from the firehouse uh, on the way. Um, so, but like it was, it was really stressful. So like I had that external stressor happening. Um, and I came forward to the department and said, Hey, listen, this happened. I don't know what to do. Um, Expecting them to fire me and they're like, all right, like we'll we'll take care of it. Like, and it was not a big issue. Um, I just had nice. to, you know, <laughs> so like that that I had that when I was in the academy. Um the relationships that I had, I you know, prior to meeting my wife, I'd dated people who are in EMS and, and the fire service and people who are not. Um, you know, it, it was tough, but it wasn't tough because everybody kind of had some type of understanding of what was going on um and then my my wife uh molly like i I met her at a holiday party for the emergency room um for mid-hudson regional hospital well it's st francis at the time so but um i met her there and then uh, she had actually crashed the party uh with fake tickets she had counterfeit tickets that we didn't pick up so you know that was cool but um you know i crashed her party afterwards so it was equal but no uh like we met and then we went on a date after um and this isn't a this was in the shadow of this horrible fire that I had experienced on Fairview Avenue. Um so like that happened in the end of January and by you know I think actually I know February 16th was our first date cuz we both hate Valentine's Day, so like we were not going to go on a first date on Valentine's Day.
0: I'm with you there. Something something irks me about Valentine's Day. I hate it.
1: It's bullshit. That's what it, that's what irks it, us. It's, the day
0: after we go get a bunch of candy. That's been our Valentine's Day tradition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all
1: right go um, on. <laughs> so um but like work was stressful and uh, in the beginning molly worked uh, you know for a, a commercial ems agency so like we had rotating schedules she ended up getting a job in a hospital and it was rotating shift work so we kind of were on the same page um it wasn't until she switched from that rotating position to working like a more of a monday through Friday or what we would call in a fire service day work that issue started to happen because you know, we had to do things on the weekends. Like previously, like we had a, a loose schedule so we could like, we would both be off on a Wednesday, Thursday and a Friday, you know, kind of thing. Um, And that's where like things became difficult uh, because, you know, everybody's taken off on the weekends kind of thing, yeah. you know, like a, a, and just that work-life balance became unbalanced and no fault of hers. You know, it was just, I was the one who had to adjust to it. um. So, like that was something to to deal with, and then the other thing was, there came a point where between my firearms training business, work, the stresses of work, and then like volunteering in Hyattsville down in Prince George's County as a like a quote unquote weekend warrior as we call ourselves, um, something had to give, and it was when I started to realize that I was having some issues with ADHD and maybe i wasn't just an idiot like there's actual like diagnosis that was coming underneath of what was going on and it was affecting all these other things so like you know the reader's digest version was i stopped for a while teaching firearms classes um and i actually handled that really horribly i i i kind of burned a, a place that i had been teaching out of um i replaced myself with another instructor but i didn't handle it appropriately because I was so overwhelmed, and
2: mm-hmm. I'll
1: never get the opportunity to take that action back, um, because I, you know, hurt a friendship and in, in, in the process of that, but um, you know, live and let live, and and learn and learn, or something like that. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Put that up on a Marilyn Monroe poster, <laughs> poster or something for as an inspirational quote. But um, so, one of the things I started doing was unplugging, and. Our fire, our, our fire district where I worked for at the time, the management was on this, um, they had a mindset that you were on duty 24 hours a day and they had us convinced to always pay attention to what was going on in the fire district for callbacks and stuff like that. So we were like, and I know myself in particular, I was like really tuned into what was happening. It was almost like it was my full-time job and then like being a volunteer at night and coming home and turning on a pager, like we have we have a pager like you know that's how we get our callbacks like they'll put a manpower tone out and we oh okay we got to go to work you know um but it was at a point where like if a call went out I would turn a scanner on to listen to what was going on at work when I'm supposed to be at home with my family and once I did that I was turning myself into like work mode Mm -hmm. and then there was no clear popping the clutch and getting back and disengaging from that So I had to take actions to stop, um, you know, set boundaries really is what it came down to. And I know we had an offline discussion about this today, but like I had to start getting a bottom line and a a boundary of when work was going to be allowed to affect me and when it wasn't going to be allowed to affect me. And that was, it was a struggle because I had been so all in thinking it was the right thing. And I'm not saying it was a wrong thing, but when it affects your family life at home and the people you love, it it's kind of, it shifts into the wrong lane. You know, it's the wrong thing or in the wrong, wrong thing column. So for me, that was, that was a tough part. And it was kind of balancing all of that out. There was a couple of times where there was some promotions and, you know, promotions happened. They didn't happen a struggle, but like communication was, was a big thing and, and learning to communicate with my wife and tell her what was going on was was difficult because I didn't want to. I almost said I didn't want to bother her, but I didn't want to bother her. You know, I didn't want to like bring my bullshit into her life. Like, you know, she's got her own problems. She doesn't need to hear me whining about not getting promoted or, you know, whatever's going on at work. You know, and um, so that was that was a struggle. But then, like, I figured out the more we communicate and you know have a open conversation about things, the better. Like, she's informed. She knows what's going on. And I'm informed and I know what's going on with her. And like, it just, it it works out a lot better. Um,
0: It's something uh, I found out. I'm a little lucky in this aspect, but it's something I found out right away with Chris. If we get the crap out of the way right away when we first see each other and you spend 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, like really just getting into the crap and just like the stuff like that, you can get to better meaningful conversation the rest of the evening or whatever rest of the day and yeah you actually enjoy it instead of worrying about all the stuff in the back of your head you you've got it out there they know what's happening they're on the same page and you move on with your relationship while you're home
2: <laughs>
1: yeah and for me like it was self-reflection into a lot of things that were going on that I never like so like I, you know I I'd hit on it before a little bit but like I have you know all my life I knew I had ADHD or something was wrong with me and i made a joke about it that i should have been on the ready readers or their whatever you know they used to have all these different reading groups like
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: there was the cardinals and the sparrow and like all these good birds and there was like the the black crows like that's where i should have been you know <laughs> uh not with the band but with the reading group um yeah but uh in all honesty like you know i got diagnosed with adhd we, we started treating it with medication which worked to a point but like i had to start setting myself up to be successful because all of the things that I should have learned I I just didn't you know and and because like like I'm very good at video games I'm very good at things that stimulate my brain in a certain way like fire trucks and fire sirens and looking at fire apparatus this um,
0: very familiar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hi my name is Rob R and I have a fire truck problem now um <laughs> but like You know, like, and it's, and 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 I, and I, what I, I guess really where it came down to Taylor was I couldn't understand why I was so good at being a firefighter. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like I can be an excellent firefighter, but I'm a horrible husband in certain aspects. And I'm horrible at like managing my own personal affairs, my, my finances and everything else. And like, it's a conundrum that really got in my head because like I said, I can go to a house fire and I can make the right calls. I can go to a car accident and make these tough decisions and like handling the emergencies is easy but why can't I balance a checkbook or figure out how not to spend money on you know a like a squirrel catcher or some bull, you know, stupid bullshit like that like you know and I didn't have the skill set and, and my I I you know I, I talk about like therapy and I'm very open at like I go to and I have a therapist and stuff like that and therapists are like shoes you have to find one that fits you mm-hmm. um there's no like one fits all person but You know, I had a really, really on point therapist one day who said, hey, man, like it works like this. Like when somebody's holding a gun to your head and it's loaded and they cock back the hammer, it's really easy to focus on the gun because it's going to kill you. And like once that stress is, you know, away, like you can relax and you've gotten the problem solved. And that's what being a firefighter is like. And a lot of people can't have a gun pointed at them and figure it out.
2: Mm -hmm. He's like,
1: people can't do what you do. But for whatever reason, you're wired for it. But the other stuff like you struggle with and it's OK because that's who you are. And once I had that mindset of being like, you're right, like he's like, you know, and he says, like, it's not like you show up in a house is on fire and somebody's like my kids inside and you're like hold on. I'm still trying to figure out how I lost that game of poker.
2: Like, no, like you're like,
1: you, you are right on. Yeah. You're like, all right, I got to go. Like, you know, and it's very easy because that guns at your head and you can comply and you can do what you need to do to get that gun out of your face. And I was like, all right. And, and I had to learn how to, like I said, I, I had to learn how to be a better person because I, I wasn't the best husband. I wasn't the best person with my own finances and everything else because I, you know, never, never learned that stuff before. So, um, like, so I don't, I, I don't think that answers the question. I think I just
2: rambled on there, but
0: that's fine. Well, it, it gave a look into just some, some things that you guys went through and whatnot. So what, what do you guys, do you do anything now to, to make things easier to work on things, you know, either with, cause you had mentioned setting boundaries and stuff with the work at home, you know, so I'm assuming, you don't keep scanners on stuff all the time anymore or stuff like that or what are some of those steps you've taken for that or
1: yeah so um, I've I've disabled notifications on my phone for like our active 911 or our rover Mm -hmm. mobile the two apps that we use um like I'm very short with my boss if he calls or if anybody calls like with the exception of my own guys my own guys call They get my 100 percent attention as an officer because I'm responsible for them, even when they're not in my charge. Like, I think I said it with um, Corley Moore when we were talking on the weekly scrap. Like, I'm not just a fire or I'm not I'm not just a lieutenant to Mike, Joe and Jake. I'm a lieutenant to uh, to Mary, to Maria, uh, to Isabella, to Little Jojo and Little Mary, uh, to, to, to Mama Bear Lawler, to Coach Wagner you know, to like the, the people that are involved in their lives. So like for them, if they call me, I, I answer, but that's part of, that's part of the position. That's, that's the uh, responsibility you accept. But mm-hmm. like when, when like the boss calls me, he's like, Hey, like I have a problem. I'm like, Hey, no problem. Like, you know, something happened the other day and I Hey chief, all due respect. If this is a pressing issue, I'll take the time and answer it. But I'm at home with my family right now. And I'm trying to do something. Can I wait till Monday when I come into work? And if he says, no, it can't wait Then I Okay. Like, what is it chief? Like let's get it figured out, but if it can wait, he respects that boundary as well. So like that's one thing. um Like I said, shutting down the alerts, so I'm not like constantly on guard because like I think like if you have a duty night or if you've ever worked overnight at a fire station or any kind of emergency services job and had to like you go to bed but you're ready for the radio to go off. Like you don't that's really your sleep.
0: life everywhere. I tell you, yeah. <laughs> you're ready for that page to go off anytime.
1: Um, and then like. From the aspect of like just you know, I think there was an educational component for me and my wife to figure out the language that I was using. You know, and like um, Aaron Fields talks about jargon Mm -hmm. in the fire service and how like if you were a a tradesman, like if you were a plumber, you know, like a right angle, you know, a ninety degree elbow of copper pipe that's one inch is the same thing from the east coast to the west coast and you know, in the middle of America, um, you know, a T-square is a T-square for carpenters, you know, pretty much everywhere. Um, but for the fire department, we have different jargon and, you know, it was for my wife to understand what I was going through and where, and, and not only to be like, Hey, like this is happening, but like to show that I was working on it, that I wasn't like, Oh, Hey, there's a, uh, there's an issue here. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, like, that's my excuse. So,
0: so, do, so you guys have been working on communication and the language and the uh, just the jargon. Did, did you finish that thought with the jargon?
2: I
1: I, I think I did. Um,
0: I may have missed the end.
1: <laughs> so so in, in the end, the, like, the, the one thing with the jargon is like, and why it was so important, though, um, is that there are things that I was doing in my relationship that... um. And, it, and it's there's no shame in, in repeating this, there were times where my, my wife wasn't sure if anything was real because with my ADHD, I could totally pay attention and just be like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, I hear you. And then like repeat what was said and forget about it. And... Mm-hmm. Like it was important to understand. Like for me and for her was to understand that like this has been my whole life. Um, and my brother-in-law, because I had a lot of like I don't want to say trauma and sound like a complete wuss, uh, but like I had trauma from high school because I knew I wasn't learning and I knew something was wrong. But you know there was this funny YouTube channel called How to ADHD, and. It had a like it, they use a cartoon brain because then they call everybody that watches the the the, the channel brains because our brains are wired differently. But the brain was reading a book called Try Harder, and then it put the and it's sweating, and it put the book down, and uh, or no, it's the sorry, the book was Try Hard, and then it put the book down and it started sweating profusely, and it was Try Harder was the next book it picked up, and that's been my whole life. Like I've always been told to try hard, or I wasn't trying hard enough, or I was lazy, um, you know, just all these really like unmotivational things to begin with a baseline.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and my, and my brother-in-law explained it, that like, when I went to school, like it was, you know, it was McDonald's except they didn't, you know, they didn't want it, you to have it your way. Like the school system wants you to have a cheeseburger with a pickle. And when you say you don't want a pickle, they really have a hard time, you know, adjusting to that, even to in today's world. And. oh
2: yeah.
1: And that was what my brain was. And. I had to figure that out and I had to figure out and and really like communicate and reassure my wife and say like listen I'm not I'm not trying to be horrible like this is how it's always been. Like there are moments that I just don't remember from things and like and almost to the point where you would think that I had early onset dementia except that if you start talking to me about the conversation eventually it like back. it comes back and I'm like holy shit I totally did have that conversation with you. Um you know, so like being able to understand that and communicate that and find that—I uh, don't want to say that ground, but like find that groundwork with my wife to be able to communicate that. You know, and, and we and we worked with a marriage counselor, like it, you know, or or a therapist. So John John's not really a marriage counselor per se by trade, but like it was somebody that we both were comfortable with,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it really helped us um, and helped me figure out like the skills that I needed to become a better husband. And for her to understand what I was going through and like learning, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I'm relearning how to be an adult.
0: People, we need to normalize therapists and marriage counselors more than what we do and not wait until things are too late and, you know, work on things. Even if you're in a healthy marriage, I mean, why do you go to the gym? You go to the gym. I mean, granted, a lot of people go when they're out of shape and need to get back in shape, right? Right. But a lot of people go to the gym while they're already in shape to keep themselves in shape and get better. So why wouldn't you do that for your marriage or for your mind if you're single?
1: Yeah. And there's no shame in it. I have no problem talking about being in therapy or and and working through stuff because there's a litany of shit that I've seen and I've been through and horrible experiences like that, you know, like just quite honestly, nobody should have to see. And like, or have dealt with. And either way, like it's happened, but like now, like for me, it's, it's happened, but like now, like we're not going to let it hold us back. We're not going to let it define us, you
0: know? Mm -hmm. So So when you got on your current shift schedule with your wife working while she works, cause she currently works weekdays now still, or. yeah. So how, how long did it take you guys to get used to it or get into a good rhythm with it? Or has it ever gotten to a good rhythm with it?
1: um it's not so much that it's gotten into a good rhythm as much as like I, I, for me it was very much the like communicating like there's a time where I just never consulted with her about mm-hmm. what I was doing or picking up overtime and stuff like that and it's making sure that like when I'm there I'm present um and I'm not distracted because like if I have to work a weekend or whatever else like hey you know it's part of the job like it is what it is but like Making sure that I'm, you know, I say, like, I say this, like, I feel kind of silly, but like, make sure I'm a good husband, like make sure that I'm making the time and not getting distracted by what's, you know, work, whatever it might be. And like being there, like trying, I'm, I'm attempting to be there 100% of the time, all the time, like when, you know, so that, like, she knows, like, this is, this is our time together, you know, and, that, and be that like, not getting distracted by my phone, putting my phone down, you know coming up with a set plans like making phone calls to people and hanging out and like you know just making sure that we're doing something other than sitting on a couch looking at our phones in the same room
0: yeah is there anything you guys do and it doesn't you don't actually have to have anything but is there anything you guys do to either keep normalcy or to make things better or to make your marriage better or or anything you this could be like a date night or it could be, um, something like to do together or it could be maybe you guys sit and you specifically talk about stuff for first 10 minutes when you get home, or is there anything you guys do to make things easier? Or maybe it's you guys give each other a little alone time once you get home. I don't know. To like, you know, like you do your separate things for a little bit before you cool down or whatever. Is, is there something you guys have found that (laughs) works to keep you guys closer?
1: Um, I mean, we got to keep this pretty PG, but no, <laughs> uh, no. In, in all honesty, like joking aside, um, just like for me, you know, and I can't speak because like Molly has been stand up the whole time. Like she's not the problem. Like
2: mm-hmm. it's,
1: it's been, it's been my. Not that you know, like everybody obviously can make mistake. I'm not saying she's like this perfect person and blah blah blah. Like you know, we're all with our faults. But like it was, it was me who needed to do the work because. I had the issue. And, and the trade-off was I recognized that I had to do the work. I acknowledged I had to do the work. I communicated to her that I had to do the work. And I communicated like through a third party, aka you know, the, the person we sat down with, like as a therapist, to say, like, hey, like there's this is going on, and this is what I figured out. And and I really put like it was like I said, the last couple of months, a lot of work went into this for my part. Um, so she understood where it was coming from. Um, I can give a tip to men who are or just you know anybody who's a significant other um in the situation uh because i don't want to be canceled like dave chappelle um but no like in all honesty like it doesn't matter who you are uh men if you if you are married to a, a beautiful woman or your wife or whoever it might be and they like kate spade bags the kate spade outlet online is a great thing to subscribe to because it's a reminder in your phone like, every three months, you can get a Kate Spade bag, and your wife will be very happy with you. Um, <laughs> but no, like, I, honestly, like, but it's it's the things like that, like, paying attention to trying to pay attention to what she, what she likes, and making sure that I can kind of deliver on some of those things, like getting flowers. Like to that.
0: Her. Um, that is awesome. Cause it can be something as like as little as like you just said, flowers or something, or it can be right. something big, like a Kate Spade bag. You figure out, and this can go both ways for both spouses, you know, cause heck, I know Pete does a lot of stuff and he gets stressed and stuff like that. And I need to show the same thing to him, knowing your spouse and doing those little gestures to show that you are paying attention. You know what they like, you care and doing it out of the blue. I mean, You said before that you guys don't like Valentine's Day. We don't either. We kind of do things like that throughout the year. You know, just kind of little things here and there. It doesn't have to be anything big, huge, grand, roses everywhere, big gesture. It's just a little something to know that you care.
1: Yeah. Because you do. You do care about the person you're with. And if you don't, you need to have a serious conversation with a bunch of people, but uh one of them including yourself. But like, you know, you, you do care about the person and it should be easy. And just, you know, like I said, like there's a there's a time where my analytical blame, uh, analytical brain was thinking about our issues and you know, I love my wife, like I don't want her to go anywhere. And like that's like I, I hate, I don't want to say I hate saying it. I don't hate saying it but like maybe in the context of it but like the fact that that even started to like you know like it didn't cross my mind because the thought came up and I said no I, I love this one and I married her for a reason and like I'm going to put the work in like if it's you know it's taking me this long to figure out what's going on, I'm, I'm going to do the work so um you know because I love her and I, I think that's important for people that like you can you can fight for that like it's okay. Mm-hmm. and if anybody tries to tell you you can't or tries to convince you that the the job is more important or whatever else like they you can send those people packing out of your life you will be much better
0: like we said before there's corny for a reason it's true you you, you need the corny stuff because that's what is deep in our hearts we are sentimental beings <laughs> you know i don't care how tough of a guy you think you are you you love somebody mhm and you, you shouldn't be afraid to show it and to get yeah. something like that. So.
1: 100%. All
0: right. Thank you for talking about that with me. No problem. <laughs> um, it,
1: this is, a, this, is a, this is a new segment that's, you know, you've done a couple of times called uh, family firefighter survival. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. I I'm really excited to make it a really, uh, to make it a stable for every, every episode I do. And yeah. Um, I can't wait to talk to more people about it and kind of get their perspective on their own families and things if they're wanting to talk about it. So hopefully we, can, was like, hopefully we can spread the, the good vibes and the, the wanting to work atmosphere on your family and your marriage and stuff to the rest of the fire service and make it be big and contagious. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, it's been a lot of fun talking. We've yeah. heard of, uh, not officially because I don't know what's actually going to be once we cut a couple breaks up <laughs> and things, but it's what been about two hours <laughs> or about yeah, two and a half okay. hours since something since we've been starting talking. So um, it's been a lot of fun. We've kind of gone a bit of everywhere with our conversations and with our with our subjects. And uh, eventually, someday, if you want to be on again, I'd love to have you back. First of all. <laughs>
1: Of course, of course, likewise. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, I I do appreciate you taking the time tonight to have me on, on the, uh, on the podcast. It's always fun to sit in the interview seat and, and be <laughs> interviewed. So, um, I appreciate it. So thank you very much, Taylor.
0: Yeah. If people want to find more of you or reach out to you, how can they do that?
1: Um, so, uh, Obviously, we I, I do follow the National Fire Radio account because uh, we're we're kind of half and half in charge of it. Um, but uh, my my own personal Instagram is Fairview 39 um, nine. So on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook, and uh, you know just shoot me a DM. And then if I don't answer, you probably went to the spam. So I apologize, but uh, you know we'll find it eventually. Um.
0: <laughs> Those DMs, oh my, especially if it goes into the spam ones on Facebook, they go into the. Um, the multiverse they, they're just out there somewhere and you have no idea they, they're not coming back yeah or, or or like several months from now they may come back so i don't know if, if you've had any trouble with those happening too and they just kind of disappear on you for a while
1: <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think uh message request that's where they will be
0: mm-hmm. i hate that section i wish they would just get rid of it yeah so <laughs>
1: But anyway, that's where you can find me. I, I think I have a Twitter, but I don't know what it is. And I'm I'm on TikTok too, so that's fun. Robert Ridley on TikTok, I think.
0: I need to start a TikTok. I don't have one yet.
1: Oh, yeah, Robert Ridley on, on TikTok at Robert Ridley. <laughs> I was first to market there. You can see my Freddie uh, firefighter or fire engine video with 1.7 million views of the uh, robotic fire truck trying to chase after its
2: brothers.
0: I'm creating a TikTok account after we get off of this and I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> is there, is there anything else you want to talk about or anything you want to plug or anything or.
1: Uh, we have the Joey D foundation. Uh, so by, by, by the time this airs, the Joey D foundation uh, fundraiser will be over, but that's where we're heading in a little bit uh, on the, uh, this coming November, but it happens every, every November. Um, uh the Joseph De Barn- uh, De Bernardo, Um Memorial Foundation and Training Day. And what this foundation does is provides firefighter bailout kits for fire departments that are financially stricken where they can't have a bailout system. Uh, Joey D was a, a, a victim, unfortunately, of the Black Sunday fire in New York City. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away with some complications from that fire a couple, couple years after. Um, but there's a dedicated group including his father who uh keep his memory alive and are ensuring that firefighters in the country have a bailout system if they need it there's a grant that you can apply for and uh we highly recommend it you know check them out um give them a like and a follow uh they're definitely uh like i said they're they're good people so that's where we're gonna be um steve uh, sangadolce from affordable drill towers and his group is gonna be uh up there doing some stuff they have a training tower that's uh in in uh long island and it's gonna be a, it, it is the place to be. So like next year Absolutely. when this rolls around, like if you can't make it to FDIC or you can't make it to Firehouse Expo or like Revolutionary Fire Tactics, the Lake or wherever, like go, if you're in the Northeast, the Joey D Foundation, uh, their their training day is is something to uh, definitely check out. This year they got Bobby Eckert and, and, and Ray McCormick and Mo Davis is gonna be doing aggressive command. Um, like just they have an all-star lineup that is fantabulous. Cool. So
0: I, I will not be able to make it this year, but I, I'm gonna put it on my calendar for next year to look into and try to try to get out there. So
1: yeah. <laughs> who who's saving you is the uh is the Instagram, I believe. Okay. Um just double check that real quick, but make sure I'm not talking out of my yep. Who's saving? Oh, sorry, who's saving you is Kevin Yost. Who helps organize it um but they have their own there is a joey d uh um you know uh channel as well so okay
0: but no we will uh i will try to link those in the show notes if i can so i will try to find everything for that <laughs> in there oh. but.
2: and there
1: is one yeah. other thing that i uh, can plug um if you do follow me on in uh, social media a uh, big thing um my cousin, Ian Cooperstein was an EMT in Sullivan County, uh, was, uh, was vaccinated. That's not a political statement for anybody that's out there, but, um, ended up uh, contracting COVID in September. And unfortunately he passed away uh, from COVID-19 from complications. Um, you know, so for, uh, we're, we're doing a fundraiser for him. Ian would be 40. He's actually, his 40th birthday would be January 9th. He was uh, born a couple of days after me. So he always picked on me that I was older. Um, but, uh, we're trying to raise $40,000 um, in his memory to the Tunnel of the Towers Foundation. So that's a very important thing for us that we're trying to do. So uh, we're going to have a little bit more on that. And we're going to be reaching out to some of our, our friends in the community to see if we can uh, raise some awareness and and get some stuff going. So
0: That's a good, that is, I remember you talking about that in Clubhouse one day and I heard it and I was just like, that is a fantastic idea. Yeah. So.
1: Ian was a true patriot, a big supporter of the troops, uh, you know, and, and emergency services. He believed in the family aspect of it, you know, the the brotherhood sisterhood, it didn't matter who you were and which badge you wore. Uh, if he, if you needed help, he was going to help you out. And you know, that that really speaks to his character. So, um, his sister, Lisa, an incredibly strong person and she came up with the idea. So we're moving forward with that. So, um, yes. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, We'll uh, look forward to that. I mean, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow on Clubhouse anyway. So it's going to
0: be. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no. we'll. yeah. I don't know how to end that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for coming in today.
0: (laughs) You're just going to sign up for me. Oh, thank you for coming in today.
1: It's it's Rob, National Fire Radio, with Taylor Anderson from the Couplings Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's been a great show.
0: I'm so using that. Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.